Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for August 27th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, weather takes center stage. We hear from National Weather Service forecaster John Lewis, Ag Extension rice agronomist Jared Hardke, and Sevier County livestock and poultry grower Bruce Jackson about how excessive winds and rainfall from Hurricane Laura could impact Arkansas agriculture. We also get some tips and information for Arkansas small meat and poultry processors interested in the state's new $5 million grant program for expanding processing capacity. First, Ken Moore spoke with National Weather Service senior forecaster John Lewis about the potential damaging winds and heavy rain that Arkansas farmers could face from the remnants of Hurricane Laura. I have the pleasure of talking now with John Lewis. John is a senior forecaster and meteorologist with the National Weather Service office in North Little Rock. John, thank you for visiting with us early on this Thursday morning as we are uh, here in Arkansas, anticipating the arrival of a potentially very destructive storm, Hurricane Laura. Uh, First of all, as we begin this morning, I know you've been monitoring the track of Laura all night long, overnight. Uh, What are we expecting in Arkansas? When can we expect it to begin affecting the state here later today? And then uh, uh, what type of impacts are we expecting? Well, first off, uh, looking at the radar this morning, we have rain spreading into the state from the southwest. Rain's already getting into the state and will continue spreading into central Arkansas as we go through the morning and through you know much of the state uh, through the afternoon and evening hours. That's going to be the first impact. It's going to be uh, quite a bit of heavy rain. So we're looking at uh, anywhere from a lot of four to six inch amounts from uh, from uh, southwest Arkansas into uh, portions of of central Arkansas. So you're you're getting up into the the, the Clinton area, in the Heber Springs area, in the Batesville area, onto the onto the south, all the way to the Louisiana border, uh, heading over toward the Mississippi River. Not quite as much rain over there. Probably right along the Mississippi, we're looking more like one to two inches there, and it's kind of the same story out in far western and northwestern Arkansas. Lesser amount there. It's kind of more in the middle of the state, southwest through central, and you know, perhaps in the northeast Arkansas is where the heaviest rain will fall uh, with the system. Uh, that is the first part of it. The second part will be, of course, the wind uh, that will increase uh, with the system. It's because uh, uh, Laura was so powerful uh, when it hit uh, Lake Charles uh, early this morning with the r- almost 150 mile an hour winds, category four storm. Um, it's it's still a, even a category two uh, this morning, and it's well inland in Louisiana. By the time it moves into southwest Arkansas, it it could be still a, a category one hurricane. Although right now we're looking more at a at a, at a tropical storm. Um, even so, uh, pretty good wind gusts from central into southern Arkansas, 40 to 60 mile an hour wind gusts um, heading into this afternoon and evening, and that's going to be enough to uh, cause some power outages, maybe perhaps uh, down some uh, trees and power lines. Uh, so that is that is the second part of the storm, and then of course the other one uh, that we're uh, looking at now is the is the possibility for isolated tornadoes. When you get these landfalling uh, tropical systems, inland tropical systems, that's a that's a very typical uh, thing to have with them. Most tornadoes that uh, occur with these type systems are brief and weak. Uh, sometimes they're stronger, but we are expecting at least the possibility of uh, isolated tornadoes um, across the state, uh, heading mainly into this afternoon and evening. 
Well, for our listeners here on, on Arkansas AgCast, of course, uh, many of our listeners are our farmers and ranchers, agricultural interests, uh, concerned about uh, a, a, along the rivers uh, of southwest Arkansas in particular. Uh, what are we looking at in the potential of with these uh, torrential rainfall amounts, uh, potential river flooding that could impact uh, cattle operations and rope rock operations in the river valleys? Yeah, right now the the rivers that we're most concerned with are, of course, the Saline River, and then you know a little farther south of that is the Ouachita River. If these uh, amounts are realized, uh, we could have rises on the Ouachita River for the next two weeks. Um, minor to moderate flooding uh, from Camden on south to uh, you know Thatcher Lock and Dam and on into into uh, Louisiana. Um, yeah, I mean it, it would be it would be flooding that would linger for quite some time. Um, if we if we do get as much rain as we're anticipating um, along the Washington, of course, we're watching uh, farther upstream, uh, farther north. Depending on how much rain occurs um, in that part of the state, we'll be looking at other rivers as well. But for right now, that is the main focus: um, is over uh, rivers in southern Arkansas. That's that's going to be our our main focus for right now. And then uh, in the Delta, uh, as we know, parts of southeast Arkansas may be uh, somewhat protected from the torrential rainfall and the strongest winds, but they're trying to start harvesting corn and rice. And uh, depending on how heavy the rain is and how strong the wind blows, that those crops could just fall down. They call it lodging, uh, and it becomes very, very difficult to uh, harvest those crops once that happens. Uh, what would you tell those farmers? Yeah, I mean, the gusts there, uh, now as you get into far eastern Arkansas, the gusts will be more like, let's say, 25 to 35 miles an hour or something like that. But in, in parts of the delta, they could get every bit as, uh, of the 40 to 45 mile an hour wind gusts. The strongest winds, of course, are going to be to the south. So you're looking at, at Camden, you're looking at El Dorado, you're looking at Magnolia. That, that's where we expect the 60 to perhaps 65 mile an hour wind gusts. But 40 to 50 miles an hour can do some damage. Uh, you know, this may be the saving grace uh, there in, in far eastern Arkansas, as far east as you can go, is that the rain isn't going to be quite as much as what we're looking at in central parts of the state. And it's been somewhat dry uh, in parts of eastern Arkansas here uh, in the last month. So, the, you know, the, whatever rain they get over there, a lot of that uh, could go into the soil and they won't have maybe the flooding issues that we're going to have farther to the west. So that would be the saving grace with the, with the whole event. But, uh, you know, if there's any shift in the track, if it moves a little farther east uh, than what we expect, of course, then the, the rain would be heavier in that part of the state. So that's that's something to monitor as we head into later this morning into this afternoon. All right. Well, and then again, uh, just the issues you've already referenced once uh, with these strong winds, power outages, uh, trees potentially coming down on power lines. Uh, I know you recall back on Easter Sunday here this year, it wasn't affiliated with a tropical storm by any means. No. no. We had 70 to 80 mile an hour winds in the Delta that uh, did extreme damage just to a thunderstorm complex. It you know, was. You see a recurrence of that. No, uh, that that was yeah, that, and that was an extreme event. Um, yeah, I remember it well. And as a matter of fact, there were uh, I think a dozen counties here that were uh, just declared federal disaster areas because of that event uh, back on April the 12th. 
Uh, that was a line of storms that moved quickly across the state with every bit of 60 to 80 mile an hour winds. Now the winds with this aren't going to be quite as strong as what we saw with that particular event, but we are going to have, uh, you know, I would fully ex expect to see at least some damage uh, from central into, into southern Arkansas as well as some power outages with wind gusts that strong. All right. Well, John, thank you for taking a few minutes of your time. We appreciate Good. all that you do with your colleagues there at the National Weather Service to keep us well informed well in advance of the arrival of these storms. And let's just hope and pray that uh, the damage isn't quite as widespread as, as it potentially could be. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's what we're hoping for, too. All right, John. We've been speaking with John okay. Lewis, Senior Forecaster with the National Weather Service on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. The Arkansas rice and corn harvest is just getting underway in parts of the state, but Hurricane Laura could throw a wrench into farmers' plans. Ken spoke with University of Arkansas Extension rice agronomist Jared Hardkey about what tropical storm force winds and flooding rain may do to Arkansas crops. On this edition of AgCast, I'm speaking with Jared Hardkey. Jared is Extension rice agronomist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Uh, and Jared, uh, last time you and I spoke, we were talking about back in April, uh, delayed planting due to extensive rainfall. Uh, once again, uh, for the second year in a row, we had a late planting season, uh, above average rainfall uh, in the months of March, April, and parts of May. Well, now here we are at harvest. Uh, it's almost uh, September. We're just a week away from uh uh, Labor Day, really, and the rice and corn harvests are underway, getting underway. But as we uh, begin the harvest in our delta, uh, Jared, uh, we're all monitoring the weather now because uh, of Hurricane Laura and the remnants of that storm. Uh, the hurricane is expected to make landfall later tonight or overnight down uh, in uh, southeast Texas and southwest Louisiana and then move right up over the state of Arkansas over the next uh, 48 hours. Talk about the uh, threat that this, uh, the remnants of this hurricane pose to our rice and corn farmers. Certainly, thanks for having me. As usual, we, we prefer to be under better circumstances and, and better topics than talking about a hurricane or the remnants of a hurricane coming across the state, particularly at, at harvest time now. Even just a day ago, we, we certainly we've had concerns since this storm really began to focus where it was coming into to the Gulf and going to be pointed on somewhat of a line that, that would certainly impact Arkansas. But even as of yesterday, we were just talking about it being a Category 1 hurricane and, you know, the hope being that, that being a lower, a lower level hurricane that, that some of the winds and, and possibly rain would be a little bit more minimal and at that time you know i guess there, there weren't indications or that i was hearing that, that it was supposed to strengthen much and lo and behold get up this morning and it's gone from from being barely a category one yesterday into a category three today and and now i'm hearing chatter that it, it could even uh, turn into a category four by the time it makes landfall and certainly i'm no meteorologist but i do know what some of those things mean uh, in terms of severity of, of wind and rainfall. And and with those increases, we're now seeing modeling pointing toward that, that system coming across, you know, however it kind of hooks across the state, uh, potentially catching a sizable portion of northeast Arkansas, which for rice specifically, 
you know, two-thirds of our rice production is north of Interstate 40, so it's in that, that northeastern part of the state. And those models are now showing wind speeds in the 50s and 60s and, and calling for rainfall amounts of, of even, you know, five to seven inches or more potentially across some of those areas. So with, uh, again, not, not just rice, of course, as a concern, but also corn, uh, both of those harvests, as you mentioned, barely getting started, just not quite getting the grain moisture down at this point where we can make a lot of headway. The, the part you mentioned about being uh, delayed planting on the early side obviously has a, a lot to do with that. We're, we're a little on the, the later side anyway, getting started with harvest to begin with. And, and uh, too many growers I've talked to have rice that's so close to where they could start, but the moisture is just too high, so we're going to have to ride it out. And our major concerns for corn and rice are lodging and then the losses that can be associated with that. In the, in the case of corn that I can touch on very briefly, you know, snapped over corn, it's kind of all about which direction it snaps over. And when it starts snapping over crossroads, it gets extremely difficult to, to harvest and get everything in the combine that way. In the case of rice, uh, similar concerns, of course, but just with the way we harvest it, we can typically get a lot more of it picked up. But the, the, the concern is this significant amount of rainfall combined with those wind speeds and that uh, what I've often referred to as that, that heavy hand pushing on that rice when, when, uh, when high wind speeds are, are carrying a lot of rainfall precipitation with it and our ability to get through this with most of our rice hopefully standing. But when we start having a, a great deal of lodging and then add in the significant rainfall amounts with it, it's not just about putting it on the ground. It's about putting it on the ground in a, in a wet to potentially standing flood environment. And we do still have a pretty good number of fields out there that are still flooded that are not, not finished and, and ready to, to be close to harvest anyway. So uh, they may, uh, see significant impacts of, of putting rice down in the water in those fields, flooding that can can wash levees and fields and gates and lower ends of fields in in some of our our flatter or lower lying areas uh, near near river bio bayou bottoms things like that that uh, you know we could back up and have significant issues and anytime we have that kind of severe lodging where you put rice down down flat to the ground and or into standing water in those situations, then, then you can you can encounter situations where you, you go from, you know, excellent rice to, to near complete loss, whether it be from shattering off the panicle uh, in, in some cases or, or going down and, and going underwater for potentially days where you can actually see mature grain begin to sprout on the head and, and begin to get stained from that water and things like that. So the, the risks here are, are very significant. And, and with how late into maturity, uh, you know, near harvest a lot of this crop is, it, it can be typically when the, the stems and the straw strength start to get weaker and have a little bit harder time withstanding conditions like this. So unfortunately, we're obviously in a wait-and-see approach to, to what happens and the exact track this takes, but but there's a significant concern right now uh, with how much rice is still out there, which to be said, virtually all of it uh, is still out there in the state that, that's going to be susceptible to this system to some degree. And, and 
as I mentioned, not a lot we can really do about it at this point. If you will, just update our listeners uh, on uh, how many acres we got planted this year after farmers were able to get into the fields. Uh, I know that uh, with prices being the way they were back uh, in the spring, bean prices were down, uh, other grain prices down, but rice was somewhat favorable. And we were looking at a uh, more acreage even, I think, uh, from what you told me, uh, than, than last year. So uh, hopefully we have a, a good number of acres out there waiting to be harvested. Uh, but hopefully uh, they'll get, you know, be able to get it out uh, after the storm moves through. That, that's absolutely right. After what happened in 2019 and a, and a record number of prevented planted acreage for rice, we still had this year, we, we were able to, to see roughly a 300,000 acre increase in, in rice acres this year compared to 19. So we're up around or over 1.4 million acres of rice this year. But mm -hmm. with that in mind, with the depressed soybean and corn prices, intentions were higher than that. And there's still a pretty good chunk of, of uh, rice ground that, that was prevented planted this year, again, because of the persistent rainfall, we weren't able to get in there, but we do have a lot of rice out there and, and corn. Likewise, we, we did plant for, for us quite a bit of corn, but there's a large amount of prevented planted corn as well due to, again, the, the early season wet conditions. But, but yes, in the case of rice, there, there is a lot of rice out there. And, and the year, while it has been extremely difficult, obviously not just in agriculture, in, in virtually every way, has been difficult growing conditions as far as for the rice in terms of temperatures and sunlight. And a lot of those things have been pretty favorable. And, and we've seemingly been looking at what looks like a pretty good crop out there. Uh, this is absolutely following on the hills. 2019 where we we planted for for us a pretty low acreage number and, and weren't able to get much in the ground this year we we did find a way again continue to press late and late into the the planting window in order to make that happen but now to, to come around and have this come into play okay well you know, we just couldn't, absolutely couldn't get much in planted last year. Well, this year we found a way and got more planted uh, by, you know, planting less in terms of corn, soybean, things like that. But now we're going to potentially be caught on the back end uh, with this rice crop and potentially have, have significant major effects. And it's it's been a few years, and, and years do run together. <laughs> okay. uh -huh. On, on exact years and when things happened, but I want to say it was 2016. We, we had some, some uh, weather problems related to heat that year, but we actually got a lot of rainfall late on rice that was right at harvest maturity, really, really close right there, and, and got a lot of persistent wet weather, heavy rainfall, and that was one of the first years in a very long time. And again, that may have been 2015. I could be off by one year there. Um, I know I saw some both of those years. One was worse than the other, but we saw a lot of sprouting on the head in standing rice in the field. That, that you had to go way back into some old literature to, to find evidence of that really being uh, observed on a widespread basis in the state of Arkansas. It's been a long time. And that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. We'll see what happens in the aftermath. Uh, for, you know, do we do we encounter a prolonged wet period or not? Uh, don't really, of course, have any idea, but, but um, 
again, going back to anything that does go down, or even if it doesn't go completely down, when you kind of thatch that canopy together with just even some partial lodging, suddenly you're in an environment that wants to hold a great deal of moisture in and around those panicles and those kernels, and some of those things will start to come into play if we continue to have good temperatures after the fact, but high humidity and some rainfall mixed in. I mean, this is this is the kind of storm and the and it's the kind of time that is, is very, very bad. And, you know, we haven't mentioned soybean or, or cotton right. at this point. They're, 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 they're not there from a harvest standpoint, but you do have with these types of events, you know, I do have concerns with soybean fields and, and flooding of bottom mm-hmm. in the fields uh, that sustain, you know, that can kill soybeans. Um, and, and certainly th- these events can, can increase disease pressure in, in soybean and cotton to a degree. So so they're not free from concern by any means. Uh, they're just, uh, you know, the, the, the lodging impact typically isn't there with those those commodities and we're not quite there kind of at harvest to, to have as much direct impact on, on the, 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 the grain or, or the cotton lint. In seed in in that situation, but but again, clearly we were we're worried from top to bottom across the board. Sure, and uh, of course the pandemic has had its impact on our grain farmers, and uh, you know as you say, it's been an unusual uh, growing season as we've gone through the summer. I remember last year it was wet all the way up until about this time of year, and then the month of September it got bone dry and it allowed for a pretty good harvest. Uh, and we had some decent yields and, and production in 2019 because of that, you know, four- to five-week span of dry weather. I know up in northeast Arkansas, uh, a woman uh, was commenting that uh, it's been bone dry up there, while southwest and parts of south-central Arkansas have had some excessive rainfall even in recent weeks. They could use a beneficial rain, Jared, but... Uh, not a flooding rain and certainly not any destructive wind. So, you know, uh, Mother Nature just is what she is, though. And, and I know they're, uh, even though they could use a little bit of moisture to help take an ease off of the irrigation, uh, they don't need five inches or so. That That's exactly right. East Central and Northeast Arkansas, again, pop-up storms being what they are during the summer, you know, kind of kind of throwing those out of the conversation a little bit. Most of that upper two-thirds of the, the Arkansas Delta hasn't seen much appreciable rainfall since mid-June. Uh, once the, the spring rains kind of shut down, that was it. I mean, again, uh, some caught an occasional, you know, here and there once in a while, you know, a few tenths to a half an inch, uh, which in most cases we've been so dry, it didn't even hardly settle the dust. And by the next day, you wouldn't have known it had rained if you hadn't been there. Uh, the day before when it did rain, and now with this event, it looks like we're we're trying to make up for that entire period in in one swoop, and that's a, as you said, that's never a good thing. What we're looking for, uh, I think, plenty of guys would uh, be happy to to see this one uh, spin off some other direction and go by and, and be forced to continue irrigating uh, soybeans and and cotton. And, and, and even, again, later rice that, that's still out there needing to be irrigated uh, and, and let this thing go on. But that's not what it appears to be at the moment unless we get something uh, strange happen, I guess, really, really push it off track. Still certainly a lot to be written on that, but uh, it doesn't look at the moment like we're going to completely escape anything. The uh, storm uh, aside, has the 
pandemic has COVID-19 impacted our grain production or grain farmers uh, in any significant way? We reported extensively earlier in the year about how it's impacted uh, animal agriculture, certainly uh, with uh, uh, production plants being impacted and uh, shut down in some areas. That's kind of coming back online and uh, processing of, of uh, the meat products uh, is kind of getting back up to normal. But how has the pandemic uh, impacted our uh, crop production, if at all? Oh, oh, it has impacted crop production. A lot of it has had to do with, with the manpower concern, with, with a lot of things going on, people in and out from work, um, being able to, to find and, and keep some of the help that, that we normally get, even sometimes on a, on a more seasonal basis. That, that that help has not been available for various reasons that, that again, has made the year um, tougher as it goes. We're still looking at, with everything going on with the pandemic, as we move into full harvest mode, you know, everyone is, of course, hoping, you know, this part unwritten on, on the, the, the dryers and elevators and mills and places where we deliver all of these commodities and, and should anything happen at any of those locations from from a pandemic standpoint uh, and, and illness standpoint, you know, the, those ramifications can be great. But we're, again, starting harvest on the late side at this point, so we, we really aren't enough into it to, you know, if anything has gone on at those facilities, you haven't heard much, and it's likely because it hasn't been hugely impactful due to we're not in full-blown harvest mode, um, you know, which is always at all of those facilities. That, that's full five-alarm fire, <laughs> uh, extremely long days, you know, everything, um, uh, r- running it at full capacity personnel and everything. So we're not quite there, but but we're on the cusp of that. So obviously we hope we, we – we get through with that with everyone okay, but that is a concern as we get into full harvest mode that, that we'll be able to, to keep up and that impact will be minimal. But but definitely on the kind of individual farm basis production side that the pandemic has had an effect on, uh, again, manpower and, and being able to do all the things we need to in a timely manner. All right. Well, we hope it certainly runs its course. I think everyone across the country is eager uh, for pandemic to subside, you know, but uh, there again, we've never gone down this road before. Never. These are unusual days for the entire country. And it's certainly for our farmers and ranchers as they deal with, uh, you know, labor issues and uh, processing plant issues and, and just everything else. And then prices, you know, that's why the, the government has uh, responded the administration has responded through uh, the uh, programs that uh, the Payment Protection Program, the CARES Act, and others to uh, support our uh, farmers and ranchers. That that assistance has been critical, and it will look like it could be critical going forward. Absolutely, will. Now is a great time to to remind everybody again, trying to get into the full swing of harvest. Now is when we work some of our longest hours of the year through harvest it, it's easy to get run down and 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 get sick anyway in the absence of a pandemic and and again reminder to, to follow those guidelines for interacting with others as we move through harvest 
attempting to to deliver our crops to to their various locations and things like that as we as we interact with with other people following those guidelines for for how we need to maintain distancing and and, and mask guidelines and things like that now is a a great time to kind of remind everyone and and keep in mind we need to be conscious of that as we move forward again to have a safe and successful harvest this year uh, again as we move through the pandemic and and this hurricane well jared thank you very much for bringing us up to date and kind of letting us know what could potentially happen we're all just going to be watching to see over the next couple of days uh exactly as this storm and the remnants of it move across our state hopefully uh, here by this weekend, we will be. Uh, we have some good news to report, and won't be as severe as it has been in the past, or what it could potentially be. And uh, and I look, you know, I imagine we may uh, be talking with you again here before too long, as we assess any potential damage that does occur. But uh, let's all hope we have a very successful harvest, and uh, the next couple of months, you know, are good ones for our uh, crop farmers here in East Arkansas. Thanks again for having me, Ken, and hopefully uh, better news on the other side of this, this event. All right. been talking to Jared Hardke, Extension Rice Agronomist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Next, Greg Patterson gets an update from Sevier County's Bruce Jackson about the challenges Laura is bringing to ranchers and poultry growers. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, I've got Bruce Jackson. He uh, is farms around the Locksburg area in, in West Arkansas. And uh, he's got cattle, poultry, hay cutting. Everything's going on, Bruce. And we've got a after effects of a hurricane bearing down on us. How are you doing over there? Uh, well, currently I'm doing well. We're... Uh... Right now, by way they're showing, we're not going to get as much as they were talking about. Uh, you know, that's the forecast. It's moving a little bit to the east of us, which is uh, good for me, but bad for a lot of other people that are going to get hit instead of. But uh, the thing that I do when they're predicting whether it's a hurricane or just this kind of torrential rain is you always have that chance on the poultry side of being out of power. So you make sure your generators will start. You make sure you got enough fuel to run in the tank to run a couple of days, you know, in that deal. Uh, so if power is out, you can still go. And then you start, uh, and it's a little easier when you have this much of a lead time for us is you start moving cattle so that they're not in any creek bottoms. I don't really have any river bottoms here that flood that on um, where I currently farm, but I've got some right. creeks that get out, and so I make sure cattle are in pastures that are high ground and move them, and, you know, so they don't get trapped in low ground. And uh, then you sort of sit back and hope you don't have trees down and cattle out in the road and those kind of things. I mean, that's probably the thing that me personally scares me more is, trees being blown down and then cattle get out onto the road or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, you have and trees that come down and, and, and take out a fence or something like that. And then 
if if you got cattle that gets spooked or whatever, and then they get out and start wandering around on the roads, you've got a lot of things to consider there. Yes, and that's always, uh, I mean, nobody's in the cattle business likes to lose a cow or a calf, but we don't want them out on the road and, and somebody else hitting them and uh, losing them that way because it's, there's just nothing good can be in that situation, and that's, that's scarier than losing the animal. It's them causing an accident out in the road, and that's probably the biggest uh, fear I have uh, is, you know, something's spooking them and they're out in the road and, you know, and in a driving rain and people can't see anything. And, you know, that's that's really the scary thing for me, for other people out there in the cattle business is into that deal. You know, that's what always uh, I live right on the side of Highway 71. Uh, it's something I grew up with, but it's something I always worry about. You know, yeah, well, that's a storms busy, busy not, road. But storms too. really increase the odds of problems. You know. Sure, sure. Now you were mentioning with poultry and your preparations there, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, you got thousands of birds in a in a poultry house. You've got a computerized system. You've got make sure, you know, that they're getting fed. You've got to make sure you've got power. You ran through several of the things. So, uh, you know, you get uh, wind coming in, sustained winds or gusts that go, you know, anywhere from 20 to 45 or 50 miles an hour, and, and you've got roof issues you've got to worry about as well. Uh, yes, you always uh, worry about that, and it's, you worry, but if you're, it's, uh, I don't want to say, I want to use it sort of an old saying, but you you prepare, you try to, you know, take care of your buildings and keep them in shape, but it's sort of like the old saying goes, how do you not lose any cattle if you're in the cattle business? Don't own one. If you own poultry <laughs> houses, if you own poultry houses, same thing. Business, you will have some damage, and you just have to uh, hope it's not too bad. Uh, hope you can get some neighbors to come help you to put it back on, to get you by, you know, those kind of things. But it, it I, I don't say that meaning lightly. No, uh, not at about all. About damage. But on the other side is that, you know, we're in this business that's uh, high risk that people don't think about that aren't aren't in the business, aren't out here in production ag. We have lots of risk, and it's something we live with with a daily uh, situation, and storms like this sure make it a lot worse and puts you way more on edge, you know, about those kind of things, about uh, losing power, generator failure, lightning coming in and blowing up your all your controllers and you know those kind of things and uh right. you know and i and i had a lightning strike just like no oh, back a couple of months ago i was out of chickens i sold chickens like on a friday and i had a lightning strike on a sunday and uh it fried controllers in two chicken houses and i was just fortunate i didn't have birds so yeah, you know to exactly. me that i i considered that was a stroke of good luck i didn't have chickens you know uh you know even though i had terrible damage i didn't have chickens so you know it wasn't so bad so i mean that's the the thing as a as an ag producer that 
these are things that I know. Sometimes I don't always think about them when I got into business in some of those things, but it's an ongoing thing, and you have to assess and just realize that's part of it, and it's pretty terrible sometimes if it happens to you. Uh, you know, it's it's terrible if it happens to your neighbor, but it's not quite as a personal financial loss to you as it does if your neighbor, but, you know, it's sort of like, oh, Back when we had some just we had some winds, straight line winds and uh, tornadoes here, I had a neighbor who took his roof off in the middle of the night. I was selling chickens. Well, I I got through selling chickens and went out there and helped him get his stuff going, so he wouldn't right. have a disaster in the middle of the night. You know, it wasn't mine personally, but he's a he's a friend and neighbor, you know. Sure. sure and right, so uh, you know, and that's uh, one thing too is that most time, you know unless all your sort of friends and neighbors, you know, uh, I use that term sort of loosely in some ways because that may be somebody that's uh, six, seven miles away, you know, or ten miles away. You know, if they don't have damage, they'll come help you, you know, because you know them from other uh, things. Exactly. And so, and lots exactly. of times that's sure. Sometimes it's not always how much help you actually do to a person that's had a loss, but that you come support them. And that's very important in these storms is, you know, is going out and helping your neighbor, even though you may not work but 30 minutes, but just he feels like, realize he's not in it alone is uh, exactly. critical. Hey, how about one other thing? You know, we, we, you know, these storms come in and obviously there's a lot of talk about, and, and, and rightfully so about row crops and things that could happen you know, for corn and rice and as the harvest is getting underway. But, but there's another crop out there, and people may not think of it as a crop because they don't eat it themselves, but hay. Hay is important for cattle farmers, and, and right now people are out trying to, you know, get their hay in, and hopefully you've got, you know, one of your cuts in already. But if a bunch of wind comes in and starts twisting hay fields around, boy, that could make a mess, can it? Uh, yes, it'll, especially hay ready to cut. It'll beat it to the ground, and you cut it, and you'll end up leaving a lot in the field. So, you know, you lose a lot. And right now, a lot of times people have bailed up creek bottoms and haven't had an opportunity to move it all out of the field. Too yeah, get down. it in a dry barn, and it gets or a dry right barn into the or just a, you know, a hay pen that's high that where they normally stack it for the winter. And, you know, because they've been bailing, because lots of times... When you have a little bit of good weather, you'll bale hard, and then you, after you get all your hay, uh, you know, bailed yeah. up, then you go back to moving it in, you know, because you, most time you don't have enough labor and equipment to be doing, you know, uh, three or four things at one time, you know, so you concentrate on putting it up, well, then you leave it set until you, you know, that's the thing, and sometimes, like, a lot of small farmers is that you end up, uh, you put off some things and then you put up hay and then you don't go move hay because you need to do some things at your poultry house that you put off a day or two while you were bailing hay all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, and, and, we, and, and throw in, sometimes you have to go do a honeydew or two in there in between <laughs> because you have been cranky because you've been uh, bailing hay till late and, and having a few breakdowns. You're not too... Uh, 
too nice to your wife. You're unsociable, you know, at the moment because you've had a bad day. <laughs> so when you get your hay up, you have to go do a honeydew sometimes to sort of soothe things over because you know you weren't very nice when you'd been had problems all day, you know. You you have just given us the definition of a farm day. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Jackson, we appreciate it. Uh, obviously, uh, he he farms southwest Arkansas in the Locksburg area with poultry and beef cattle, and he's got his hay up and in the barn right now, so he's happy about that. And Bruce, we've got this Hurricane Laura bearing down on us, and uh, everyone, you know, is saying their prayers for the farmers and for everyone else to stay safe. Thank you so much for being a guest on Arkansas AgCast today, and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. Finally, Keith Sutton talks to Noah Hall at Ultrasource LLC in Kansas City about the recent $5 million grant program approved by the Arkansas General Assembly for expanding meat processing capacity in the state. Hall shares some ways his organization could possibly simplify the application process for interested meat and poultry processors. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today I have the pleasure of talking with Noah Hall. Noah is the director of kill floor and processing equipment for a company called Ultrasource LLC. Welcome to AgCast, Noah. Thanks, Keith. We're glad to have you here today. Uh, and the reason we're talking, uh, the Arkansas just General Assembly just a week or so ago appropriated $5 million in federal funds to support Arkansas meat processors. And your company uh, might play a role in that for some of our uh, processors who are hoping to get a share of that grant money to upgrade some of their facilities. Uh, So first of all, let's uh, start by telling everybody a little bit about Ultrasource and what it is y'all do. Yeah, absolutely. So Ultrasource uh, has actually been around since 1883, uh, serving in the uh, meat industry uh, primarily, but food uh, industry in general as well. And currently, uh, the way that we operate is we are a manufacturer of food packaging equipment, and we also sell uh, further processing equipment uh, and also offer supplies, uh, consumable supplies like the boots, knives, hats, gloves, uh, vacuum bags that uh, operators use on a daily basis. So we're, uh, we like to think of ourselves as a great resource for uh, the food processing industry uh, and help them kind of further their business along. So here in Arkansas, we have a lot of small uh, companies that might be looking at uh, ways they can expand uh, what they've got or uh, maybe uh, get additional equipment. Uh, And a lot of that will relate to these new grants that are available. Uh, How how could y'all help folks who are in that situation and need some assistance? Yeah, uh, so with the grant programs that have been coming out, and this is including Arkansas, we fit a lot of the eligible expenses uh, that they are specifying in the grant. Uh, we start at the very beginning all the way from the uh, kill floor facilities and work our way through to uh, further processing for like cutting, packaging, wrapping. And then if they do the value added uh, 
stuff as well where they're looking to do like maybe mixing and grinding and portioning into like one pound hamburger chubs or getting into, uh, you know, even some injection and tumbling on some value added meats if they're making their hams and bacon. Uh, all those equipment product lines we have an offering for. And then you wrap in on the packaging side. Uh, you know, there's just so many opportunities where these companies are looking to increase their capacity and they've got specific bottlenecks in their process. And we have uh, machines that can definitely help remove that and hopefully increase their output and expand their business. So we're hearing that there are a lot of bottlenecks, uh, and, and it's been difficult for some of our uh, smaller processors uh, to keep up with the demand. Are you all seeing a, a lot of increased demand for your services with all this going on? Yeah, yeah, um, and it, it varies on the, the scope and scale of it. Uh, we've got everything from, you know, this, uh, you know, a company might figure out that if they add one vacuum packaging machine, they can, you know, increase their throughput significantly uh, all the way to some places that are looking at starting from the ground up on a new facility to go from being able to do like 15 or 20 head of beef a week to maybe doing 50 a week or something like that. And they're just trying to identify what's the best way for them to to increase their capacity. So we're really uh, kind of involved in projects all over right now uh, from, you know, just little smaller expansions to a full-blown let's get a new plant going and, and really change the way we're playing this game. Well, uh, for our folks, uh, here's a little bit more information about the grants. They'll have to uh, submit an application before September the 30th, uh, and there's a lot more to it than what we can delve into here, but the grants will provide a 90-10 cost share provision. Uh, I, I assume that means the government will pay 90% and the processor 10 to make uh, capital improvements uh, that comply with USDA inspection. So if folks want to learn more about some of the services y'all have, Noah, what's the best way for them to get in touch with y'all? Yeah, so the uh, probably the best way to talk to someone direct on the phone is to call our main line uh, at 1-800-777-5624 and just ask to talk to someone, uh, whatever your specific interest might be. Uh, if you're looking to talk to someone in sales, we have uh, specialists in the steel floor and processing equipment as well as the packaging uh, and just kind of we'll, we'll delve into whatever area you're specifically looking for. You can also go on our website, uh, www.ultrasourceusa.com, and you can just peruse around a little bit. We've got a lot of our equipment offering on the website there and as well as some contact information. So if you're just kind of at a – an entry level point where you're like, I want to see what this company has to offer. That gives a, a pretty good overview. But if you want to get someone on the phone and, and really hammer through what your uh, problems and your process are, uh, we've got lots of expertise in house for that. Uh, specifically, our, our kill floor and processing uh, sales team, we've got uh, a couple of uh, individuals. We have uh, two out of uh, two individuals have master's degrees in meat science. So they've been uh, kind of around the block, and one of another one had an undergrad uh, experience at Texas A&M where he got an emphasis in meat science as part of his undergrad program. So we're really 
we're really kind of geared up to to help identify what some of those pain points are and figure out what the right solution is for these processors. And I know a lot of our small processors, they're, they're saying, yeah, I could use some help to avoid all that pain. So hopefully they'll be uh, be looking to get in touch. Where are y'all located? What part of the country are you in? So we are located in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. So you're still on our central time zone then, right? Yep. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, the phone lines are open 8 to 5. Uh, usually, we've probably been putting in a few extra hours with a lot of these uh, state grant programs going on, but uh, it's been good. Uh, it's been a really good uh, experience trying to trying to find out more about our customers and, and help them uh, improve their business. Well, I want to let people know, too, there's two places they might find out some more information about the grants. First of all, through our State Department of Agriculture, they can go to www.agriculture.arkansas.gov, G-O-V. And uh, there's a, uh, a piece on there that talks about the Arkansas Meat and Poultry Processing Grant Program. And they can also find more information on our website at Farm Bureau. That's A-R-F-B.com. And tell them once again, uh, Noah, what your uh, uh, website address is and that phone number. Yeah, our website is www.ultrasourceusa.com. And then our phone number is 1-800-777-5624. I believe y'all could be a big uh, help to a lot of our folks uh, who might be looking for help. And so uh, we'll encourage folks to at least take time to, Visit your website and see if uh, there's information there that will help them uh, decide uh, what they need to do. Yeah, and another another thing I'll put a plug in for Keith as well is, you know, as part of it, we really view this as a partnership with the processors, and we do a, a, a an Ultra Source Academy, which is a two-and-a-half-day course uh, here at our location in Kansas City, Missouri, that processors can come in and we just kind of run through uh, making various products all the way from, you know, jerky, hams, bacon, into the different types of sausages and kind of showing them. Uh, it's a little bit, we use the equipment we have here in our test kitchen, but it's kind of an open forum for processors to uh, interact with other ones that are in the same industry and kind of get some different ideas or tips and tricks and maybe understanding of why they do things the way they do on a daily basis. And uh, anyone that uh, purchases equipment that's over $10,000 in value gets a, uh, a free seat in the class as part of that. So uh, definitely something that we look to partner with them as it goes on. So hopefully uh, we can help improve the business long after the grant program runs out as well. Well, we know uh, right now uh, with the situation the way it is uh, across the country, there's a big need for more processors. So we're hoping to see some of our small processors get USDA certified, and uh, certainly uh, you folks will be uh, a big benefit to people needing more information. Yeah, absolutely. We're uh, we're always uh, glad to help where we can. Well, Noah, thank you very much for taking time today to speak with us, and uh, hopefully you'll hear some of our uh, uh, producers here in Arkansas uh, giving you a holler. Thank you so yeah. much.
Thank you, Keith, and thanks for reaching out. That's it for this week's Arkansas AgCast. Check in next Thursday for more news and views on Arkansas agriculture.